Welcome to episode three of Bean Pod by Upshot, the only Upshot podcast available. My name is Blake. I'm the head roaster here at Upshot. Uh, this is the third podcast of many to be shot over at our roastery. Before we dive into any conversation today, let me say hi to the crew. Connor Van Buskirk, how we doing? I'm fantastic. You look good. You look better than you did the last episode. Really? Yeah, you just, I don't know. There's that was like about 10 minutes you. ago. Well, uh, <laughs> Anyway, Drew, how are we doing, man? I am still good. Yeah, man, you looking you looking sharp, looking sharp today. Thanks. Glasses, I, I want a pair of glasses. Makes Listen, you look smart. I'm going to manifest today. <laughs> no, I'm gonna grab you a pair of glasses. I'm talking some reading glasses. Make me look like a smart guy, like I, a spreadsheet kind of guy. I can help you there too. Okay, well, perfect. Well, thanks Connor's for tuning in today. A little bit of uh, nonsense to start off, but that's what we do over here. We are constantly messing around, constantly having fun. Uh, so you'll see that if you go into, ever, ever go into our shop, it's just a fun environment, right? That's and our, I feel like the roastery uh, is the same deal. Having fun. Big part of our uh, philosophy here at Upshot. Real quick, before we get in, let me give our summary. What is this podcast? Aiming to inform our customers, regulars, coffee nerds, anyone who is willing to listen about the ins and outs of Upshot, what it's like to work here, new projects coming up, and what coffees are hitting the shops in the future. Really, we just want to give you guys some insight, and this is how we're doing it. Last episode, we covered our roasting style, and this episode is going to kind of piggyback off of that, and we're going to be covering green coffee sourcing. Um, it's one of the most important parts of our job, if not the most important part, about getting good coffee over here so we can roast it and we can do a good job representing our farmers. Um, so Drew is kind of our, our guy that is really focusing on the green coffee side, um, and Drew, I just want to kind of hand it over to you. What does that look like? What is what is green coffee sourcing, if you had to summarize it in a quick little sentence? I mean, I'm pretty much looking around different importers, farms, um, and making a decision on based on our current lineup and what we're looking to bring in, uh, prices, qualities, that kind of stuff as well, um, and bringing in the best coffee for our lineup at the current time. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good way to summarize that. I feel like we kind of touched on it a little bit last episode of, you know, if, if you're, most people probably know this, but coffee is a cherry seed that needs to be really maintained throughout the whole profit process of, you know, growing, harvesting, and then um, importing out. And um, there's a lot to cover really within this episode of what, what kind of the implications of coffee sourcing is and like you have importers you have direct trade you have all these things that you can really focus on um but i want to kind of get a feel for when you're ordering samples or when we're and we cannot kind of all touch on this because drew you really focus on it but we all are involved in this process um what are we looking for um are we looking for a specific importer do we would we rather do direct trade like what do you guys look for in samples and in importers would you say um, just real quick about the direct trade. Uh, I think really the main reason we haven't done anything of that nature yet is mainly like the legal. Yeah. Can and you explain the difference real quick? Like importers versus direct trade? I don't know 
It's kind of complex, right? It's very complex, and that's one of the reasons we've kind of stayed away right. from it. Let's just say, overall, importers take care of all the legal crap that comes with trying to buy something from another country. So you have these importers that are taking care of all that, and they're taking a percentage, and then we're buying from those importers. So we don't have to Correct. worry about, you know, if our uh, shipment, you know, goes over into the sea, and we're not going to be liable for a lot of stuff that the importers are kind of taking that their responsibility in many yeah. ways, right? So direct trade allows you to, you know, have direct contact with your farm and allows you to be a little bit more engaged, but it's a lot more difficult. A lot more risk. A lot more risk. Well, and I would say that's something we are currently educating ourselves on because that's obviously an area we plan on going. Yeah. Um, and one of the important parts about direct trade is, you know, um, typically speaking, part of the reason that we're going to do that is that we can then give a better margin to the farmer because you have one less hand in the pot. Right. So that's part of it, too, is just being able to, you know, take that margin that would be going to a third party and be able to pay that directly to the farmer, which helps their family a little bit more, which is, I think, the idea behind the whole thing. It's not really about cutting out a middleman for just cutting out a middleman. It's not about, you know, dominating the entire thing and having a monopoly. It's more about how do we get more money directly to the farmer instead of into 17 different organizations' hands. Agreed. Mm -hmm. Agreed. No doubt. And there's a lot of money, like, that just gets dished out all over throughout the whole process. And that's why it's really complex. And when we went to Coffee Fest in Chicago, um, we took a class on direct trade and what that looks like. And basically, we left more confused than we did walking in. Um, it was really complex. Of well, there's just a lot of risk involved. And so, you know, obviously when you have, you know, coffee going to port in a foreign country that you don't understand the politics of that country and the way things work, that can be a challenge. And then getting right. it through our ports here. And then what we've all seen in the last two years is, you know, even if you can get it on a container ship, it may just sit in the harbor because right. there's no one there to unload it or the supply chain is broken. And so, you know, then you have all these issues with trying to get it through port and the longer it sits at sea, you know, potentially it's aging and water quality is going down the bean and there's all these other issues. So it's a pretty complex thing that you've got to make sure you understand it before you go into it. Yeah. And we did, I mean, we just ordered a coffee. What was that like three months ago, roughly yeah. the Halua. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this it was supposed to come in here like before July, right? I mean, I think like, we ordered it in May. Yeah. You're supposed to have it in July and we got it. Was it this week? Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, and that's not because people aren't doing their jobs. That's because there's so many people involved with so many things that can go wrong that sometimes things are just delayed. Right. And we right. all know we're not in a perfect world and there's, there's challenges. Right. Um, I feel like our goal, too, is to get a coffee, like get high end coffee that isn't crazy high end prices. Like, but we also through that, we want to make sure farmers are getting paid. Yep. So it is kind of a slippery slope of. We want really good coffee. We want it to be low price, but we also want to make sure farmers are getting paid. And that's where um, importers and making sure that we understand that the importers are representing their farmers well. And, and a lot of the times when you go to a website like Sukafina, um, it's a company that we got in contact with at Coffee Fest, um, and they do an excellent job. And they, they have really good coffee, but they showcase this is what... Um, each it was going on to each farm and we ordered a um, was it a Kenya that was it's all processed through it was like 130 different women that are are picking and, and are part of the whole process and through that um, giving them the ability to to be a part of that story and um, so Sukafina is a good example of an awesome importer that we love using um, but yeah I think that's another part of right now we're just trying to find good importers to go through and uh, we've been, had some importers where we'll get coffee in and we tried it and then 
it's a lot different when we get it. It's maybe aged or um, it just isn't the same product. And sometimes that just happens, right? I mean, um, just And I think it's process. fair to say that that can happen to any importer. Right. Because there are things that are out of their control. Agreed. Right? There's so, a lot going you on. Know, and one of the other ways that we, we found, you know, meeting importers are important is, you know, we had a friend that was a big roaster in, in Denver that's an incredible roaster come in and give us a bunch of information and, and cup our stuff and help us out. His name's Jeremy Tosh. And uh, he introduced us to CoFinet, right, mm -hmm. which is a, an importer from Colombia that focuses on pushing uh, processing, uh, coffee quality. They've got a chain of farms that they work with, and their idea is we want to make coffee elevated in Colombia, and they focus on the country of Colombia. Mm -hmm. And so through that introduction, we're able to start to work with these guys, and we understand the purpose of what they're doing, right? So we feel really good about using them as an importer because they are focusing on the exact same thing we would focus on as well. Right. And then there's this big part of, and Drew, you can kind of dive into this if you want, but the whole aspect of coffee defects uh, that is comes into play when we talk about green coffee. And kind of defects are a big part of coffee because no matter where you grow your coffee or what, you know, every coffee is going to have some defects or depending on what, there's all these different types of defects. Um, and Drew, I mean, when you get some samples in, what's your first process of finding some of those defects or seeing what kind of quality the, the green looks like? Yeah, so I look through pretty much every coffee that comes in at if, to see if they have any defects. Um, but I will still, even if they do have defects, I'll still g continue with the process. Mm -hmm. There have been some pretty incredible coffees that look pretty bad. Yeah. And I know there are people that have even competed in like competition with coffees that just look terrible, yeah, but they taste incredible. So mm -hmm. I never really count anything out, but it's definitely a good indication for me of like the farm quality. Yeah. Um, so usually I'm looking for uniform bean size. Um, if any beans are chipped or broken, um, split in half, if they have any mold, mm -hmm. they have bugs, um, all kinds of stuff. And then I'll put them through the sample roaster. I roast everything the exact same, uh, just for consistency's sake. And that kind of gives us a good understanding of what the coffee is, uh, without any, you know, differentiation. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also allows us to kind of see, uh, do we think this coffee needs more development or less? And then that'll kind of guide us in our roasting process as well. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But then once it's roasted, I'll look at any roasted defects as well, which is usually just Quakers. Um, and well, I mean, what's the and I, the only way to really get rid of Quakers on the farm, which are basically just dud beans that I yeah. believe the float. Um, yeah. What you can is the I'm pretty sure the only way that I know of is is hand picking them. Correct. Um, I don't know of many like machine Quaker like sorters that, that take Quakers out because I, I, it, it's a process. It um, is. It's in a lot of hand-picked stuff. Most of the coffee that we have at Upshot is is just passed through a ton of hands that are picking, that are sorting, that are doing all these crazy things to guarantee some, some good quality. Um, but I know like a lot of people don't realize how much hand-done stuff there is on these farms. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that kind of brings me to uh, what we really want to strive for is, is some origin trips where we go in and we actually see how this coffee is processed and we can take pictures and we can 
post about it and, and talk to the farmers because sometimes we kind of disattach from the product and we just get the beans, but we don't actually see how it all is done. We can see pictures, but as soon as you get on the farm, it gives you maybe some, I don't know, empathy or some sort of understanding. Um, how would you say kind of that like impacts tasting or impacts the whole experience, would you say? I think anytime you can understand the process from the ground up, you're better at your job. Yeah. So I think part of it is meeting those families, understanding who they are on a personal level, what their goals are, right? Seeing their farm, seeing their soil conditions, seeing what's important to them, right? Um, understanding how we can impact them in a positive way. Like I think anytime you can start at the ground level and understand the entire process going forward, you're going to be better off than just hitting a button, um, getting a thousand pounds of something sent to you on a pallet and then roasting that in your facility and selling to customers. Anytime we can get to the soil level and understand how we impact everything from the ground up, I think we're better at our job. And I think it's something we're all geared towards. Like we like to travel. We like to experience new things. We like to learn new things. So I think, you know, just from a practicality standpoint of part of the reason we're in this is I think part of the reason we got into roasting is all of us want to have those experiences and want to impact those communities and want to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're all geared towards wanting to experience. Right. And so it's an important part. There's a purpose for all of this. Right. And there is some risk attached to really like diving into and supporting one farm alone, because whenever they have issues or like, um, Tim Wendelboe just had a, a YouTube video about a frost that hit Brazil that really impacted um, the, the fruit that was able to be produced. And when a frost hits, it's, it's a big deal because some trees go barren for like two full years. And, you know, that could be 20% of your, your stock of, of coffee to be harvested that year. But um, how that impacts um, your relationship. So if you do make a relationship with a farm and you do say, we're going to support you and we're going to be a part of this process, and then something happens, um, there's some impact there. Like when Brazil had this frost, uh, Tim Wunderbo talked about how it impacted the entire market of coffee. Um, so there is some risk, it seems like, when you do partner with one farm or because whenever they have issues, you kind of have to respond to that or you have to take some sort well, you of... you may have to roast something that's just not ideal and you're going to have to just live with it and figure yeah. out how to get the best out of it and that's how you support that farm. And I remember, you know, in my own, you know, experience of owning Upshot Coffee and before that BB Chocolate Bar and just being in a lot of other people's shops around the country and around St. Louis... I remember, you know, reading stories about how someone locally was going to support a farm and whether for the next 10 years, you know, they were going to bring in that a specific amount of their crop regardless and, and support that farm and help them mm -hmm. improve it. Right. Mm -hmm. Which means that sometimes you're going to have some duds in that process and you still got to put your label on it, roast it and figure out how to use it in your cafe to the best of your ability. So that farmer can continue to have that revenue to continue to make the changes that you're encouraging to make them to change. And I think early on in my career, if I read a story like that and then I tasted a coffee that to me, in my opinion, which is just an opinion, um, wasn't great. Right. And not understanding why that was still important. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think now being in this process, I look back at that and I go, well, that was really naive not to appreciate the entire process of mm -hmm. getting to taste that cup every year as this company supports and grows changes. Like that is such a cool story as we get into coffee and we understand how we affect things that, you know, sometimes you're going to, to support a farmer, you may have to, you know, figure out how to put pig on, you know, lipstick on a pig. And, right. and, and the end goal is much bigger than just that one cup. Right. There's a lot of complexity that goes into this. And, and uh, kind of another question I had is when we have, you know, blends that we want to be long-term blends, right? And But a coffee harvest is only so much, right? Um, how exactly do you guys approach, and obviously I'm a part of this process, but I'm kind of just asking the question, 
how do we approach um, getting a blend to to have similar taste um, profile, even though the coffee's different? Because we can't sit on um, a certain blend for a year, but yet we only have that coffee for three months. Um, so what's the process that goes into um, kind of getting a coffee, even though it's different, and, and trying to match that blend profile, even though it's a different coffee? Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, really just trying to match flavor profile. Um, and within that, you know, it helps a lot to stay within the same origin yeah. and process, especially. Um, but it can be pretty flexible, really. Yeah. Um, I think sample roasting is a huge, huge thing for that, too, because you can you have the ability to try them next to each other at the same time, mm -hmm. roast at the exact same. Um, and you can get pretty close lining them up. We've seen that firsthand in shop. Um, you can confuse them. <laughs> yeah, well, many times, like, we had a espresso blend, and just for an, a, a sake of experiment, we had to change our espresso blend because of our crop shortage. We weren't going to be able to have that crop for too long. So we, Drew and I basically worked incredibly hard and kind of was involved in the process as well of trying to find beans that fit that same profile. And we basically changed the blend completely, and then replaced it without telling our baristas in shop, and uh, nobody blinked an eye. There was very little. I, I asked, like, have you guys noticed anything about espresso? And they're like, actually, really good. I haven't noticed it change a, a ton. And that is the job we're Mission attempting to do. Right. We don't want anybody to ever think, oh, this is completely different tasting, because we want our espresso blend to be consistent. And I feel like that's a big, big part of green sourcing. And uh, not just getting good coffee, but getting coffee that fits our lineup. Um, having naturals, having a good wash, having a honey process here and there. Um, but through that, it's tough. Well, and that's what we're always balancing a menu, right? So part of what Drew's doing is not necessarily just ordering the, his 10 favorite coffees out of the 30 samples that he got. It's ordering the 10 best coffees to balance our menu out so we have something that is, you know, a washed Guatemala for that customer. We have our bright fruit forward stuff. We have our experimentals. I mean, it's it's about having a little bit of balance on your menu to where you're not just doing one thing. Yeah. And the other challenge that Drew has in the way that we do things is, you know, when we get a pallet of coffee and it's typically, you know, six to 10, 70 kilo bags, right? Yeah. We are a small roaster using small lots. So it's not like we're bringing in a container of something for yeah. for our espresso base that we're just going to roast that exact same bean for a solid six months to a year because we have an entire container of it and that's just set. Right. I mean, our espresso may need to be reblended every two months. Yeah. Because we are working with smaller lots, smaller amounts, smaller roastery. So it just, I mean, I think probably at this stage it's extremely useful for us because it's making us learn how to do things much better, much quicker. Yeah. Um, to where when we are a much larger roaster, we have that knowledge and how to do that. Yeah. Um, but it definitely does make it more challenging how often we have to rebalance things based on our size. Well, and how a company like Mina's uh, that we go through, there's a coffee shop in Edwardsville that also does importing from Brazil, and um, they're in Edwardsville, and their stock is in Edwardsville, so we can go and run and, and grab coffee from them um, whenever we're out for the most part. And just, yeah, what they do is they've got farms in brazil and then they have an importer that they open in edwardsville and so they are roasting and selling their espresso through different wholesale channels but they are also just an importer and they are representing their own farms yeah which is really cool it's really cool. i mean it's like we're it's like a direct trade relationship but they're right here in edwardsville yeah and that changes because one we don't have to spend 300 dollars for a shipment of coffee that is you know four kilo 470 kilo bags 
we can just drive over and, and take care of that shipping. And we can be a little bit more flexible when well, it comes to And we've gotten to know a farmer that we're impacting, which right. is yeah. really a unique opportunity, Very right? Unique. Like, I didn't have to fly to Brazil and, and meet this guy. We were able to meet him at Coffee Fest representing, you know, his espresso, and then just have a conversation where he found out he's in Edwardsville, and we're like, well, that's pretty, awesome. right. that's pretty useful for us. Yeah. Um, so we went over there, cupped with him, saw his whole operation. We now... Uh, use his Brazil Naturals as one of our bases in our espresso, and we've developed that relationship, which is essentially a direct trade relationship where I have to drive half an hour. Yeah, but without and, all And, you know, I right. think we all hope that what that means is we're down in Brazil at his farm soon through that relationship, right? And then we're starting to experience it from another level, but those opportunities were even kind of unique in that we're able to kind of create a direct trade by just driving half an hour. Yeah. Check out Mina's Coffee. It's in most uh, grocery stores around. They've got, they got a pretty good product. That... We all uh, believe in it's a it's a pretty cool process, I would say. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's been a, a good conversation to because I've also been trying to partner with a friend of mine that knows a farmer in Honduras, um, and they've been over to the roastery and, they, and we've roasted some of their coffee for them. Um, but it is really cool when you can actually firsthand have interactions with farmers. Yep. Um, it changes the whole the whole idea because you start to really just get an understanding of what it's like or get ask the question right to his face of, hey, what are the struggles you deal with? What can we help you out with? How can we be a service to you? Um, and and it's, it's really cool to hear the perspectives of, of what's going on in these other countries when it comes to um, green coffee. I think with them especially, it's really interesting to see how they uh, roast their coffee mm-hmm. versus how we do as well. Yeah. And how that experience is just so different mm-hmm. even though it's the same Bean. i mean it's the same coffee yes. yeah uh, that is that is a cool point it's very different style and um it's more the the grocery style which is going to be a little bit more a medium roast which uh the cost is going to be a little bit lower um but it is it is a really good product and it's really cool to connect with a farm like that through edwardsville um yep. which is kind of unheard of would you oh, say yeah. Like, it's really hard. I would have never guessed, dude. Like, I couldn't believe it when we were sitting there in Chicago, and I was like, oh, yeah, our importer has farms, and he's got a spot in Edwardsville. I'm like, well, we're in, like, St. Louis, St. Yeah. Charles. We need to talk to this guy. And the next yeah. thing you know, we're over there touring his whole facility, and it's just really neat that that can all come together. That, that relationship has been great, too, just because having a set coffee that we have on like that makes my job so much so easier easy. for, yeah, yeah transferring coffees and keeping a consistent flavor profile because the majority of it is the same right um so yeah that's been huge yes them and cofinet i think have been key in our success so far with keeping consistent coffee agreed and on top of that with the sukafina what we were talking about is not only are they focused on the importing but they also have a whole another district devoted to classes and educating because a big part of what they yeah. do is making sure that in order to buy this coffee, yes, it does have a big price tag on it, but this is why. This is all the work that's being done. And this is the farmer that's doing it. And this is the process, this is the anaerobic process that they're really diving into. And this is why it's different than other anaerobic processes. And um, it's crazy because we, I, th- I would say most of the coffee that we've had in the shop in the past six months, like our favorites have, have come from similar Similar farms, uh, yeah. Not similar importers. Mm-hmm. Um, the importers really, really make a big impact. Um, 
but yeah, that's that's it's a I think that's a good little uh, little touch. You guys got anything to us to add on the whole green coffee side? I, we didn't really touch on the Akawa. Um, we, there's not much to touch on other than the fact that it is probably one of the biggest pieces of machinery. Well, I think use. that's an important thing to talk about. So the Akawa is a little sample roaster that does 50 gram samples at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, when we got it, it was really useful because we didn't really know how to sample roast, and we didn't sample roast for the first several years of upshot other than doing 800 grams in the proster which isn't necessarily the best way to do mass amounts of samples right yeah so by getting this thing now we can order 30 samples and we can go through all 30 rather quickly and we can cup all 30 and we can choose the top two right um and that is really unique because it had basically preloaded espresso or sample roasting profiles in there that we could learn and experiment with and see and then one of the things that i thought was maybe one of the biggest breakthroughs that we had in the roastery was as Drew started to take ownership of this process, he developed his very own profile, right? To where we now have something that we're not utilizing other people's things. We have a very unique and special profile that sample roast upshot coffee and translate it to us really well. And so one of the things I'm interested in is like, Drew, how did you develop that? Yeah, I think a lot of it was really just trial and error. Um, And then it also is very helpful how Akawa just has an open library. So when he talks about the open library, what's really cool about Akawa is, you know, we can go to their app and we can take a Patrick Rolfe profile of how he did a specific Columbia, right? And we can utilize that and we don't have to pay for it extra yeah. or spend 80,000 80, hours on YouTube trying to find it. It's just like, hey, this looks really cool for this Columbia or this roaster we've heard of. Let's try this. And so it just gives you all this data that until you know what you're doing, you can learn from all these other people to get to the end point of what actually is specific to you. Yeah, they make it really easy to share and just have a lot of information about what other people are doing. And so I basically just used a bunch and of different profiles, figured out what I liked best. And then I actually adapted one of your Mill City profiles mm-hmm. Um because the whole goal was how do we, an air roaster, which is the cow, which is very different than the drum roaster, which yes. is like convention heating compared to air heating, which is, it's a whole, that's a whole conversation. But we yeah. wanted our coffee on the cow to taste like our drum. And that is very hard to do. Yeah, very difficult to translate. So I initially just transferred over the Mill City Curve, uh, tried to replicate it best I could in a cow. Um, and then just did a lot of trial and error uh, and a lot of testing to see what worked and what didn't, kind of using the other profiles to guide that a little bit. Um, and I got it to a point where I feel really good about it. I feel like it's very dialed in, mm-hmm. and it works for a lot of coffees, which is the main thing I wanted it to do. Yeah, it's Super easy. You hit a button. Mm-hmm. You wait. I mean, it's like seven minutes. Hit a button again. A lot easier done. than the drum. Yeah, where you have to make adjustments Every constantly adjustment. that you, you have to worry away. about the preheat. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's makes a, the process seamless. It's beautiful coming from prior to Upshot. I did my own home roasting, and and I mean, like it kind of all of this has ruined home roasting for me. Unless you buy expensive equipment, because I had no control over anything. What I realized, and then coming in and seeing, you know, the Akawa and how much. <laughs> It was just beautiful. It was just totally The amount different. of precision is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, you can heat to the degree every second, Yeah, basically. And 
just the amount of heat you're able to generate in such a small machine is crazy. You mm-hmm. can do things on that that you can't replicate on a larger roaster. So, yeah, I think the Akawa is probably the best investment we've made over here in a long mm-hmm. time. Um, and prior to that, what, you, you get coffee in? You, you roast a 200-gram batch of coffee. You get one shot, and you're normally roasting 800 grams on the same machine. Yeah. So you have no idea what's going on. You have to roast <laughs> it a completely different way. Baked. Really it's, just bad. Uh, it's it, tough. Yeah. Well, and let's talk about time. Like, you know, you can run right. through your curve in what, four minutes? I think it's seven. And seven then it has minutes? to cool, so it's like nine. But it's still really pretty fast. Effective, cost efficiency-wise, we're, we're going through 50 grams instead of 200 grams. So and like it's from also... A, from a, a business standpoint, like what I worry about, you know, we're not blowing through 6,000 grams of coffee to sample roast 30 coffees or whatever it may be. We can go through very small amounts. And typically, the other challenge we had is, when we ask for samples, they typically send you 50 to 100 gram samples. So oftentimes we might get a 100 gram sample and then be throwing 100 grams into the proster which is and what? trying to translate that, which is like 800 grams is really kind of where we need to be on that thing yeah. from our understanding of how we use it um, to get a very consistent roast that we can then understand to translate over to the Mill City. So like, you know, how accurate is the information we're getting when we're throwing a 50 to 100 gram sample into a drum that realistically needs 800 grams. It doesn't yeah. do the farmer justice, it, really. Well, and that's what you it's miss a lot of good it's opportunities because you don't roast it in a way that it's easy to compare and isn't representing the coffee well. Right. Um, and I think it also it just does a great job of roasting it the way we want to represent the coffee. Mm-hmm. And I think it provides a similar flavor profile to what we look to achieve out of our yeah. larger batches and initially we were like like we were using all these curves and none of them were really lining up it was very weird yeah, they were nothing being, tastes the same yeah there was like almost scorching the outside of the bean it wasn't lining up to you know but when you think about it it's like if patrick roth just won a competition on this curve right now like he just a couple weeks ago not just but in the process he won a competition using a certain yeah. curve and we're like oh this is going to be amazing and then we use that and we're like this is not great, mainly because the coffee he was using was so different. The yes. And that, water, the extraction, I think the, the equipment, like all of that. I think it really comes down to the type of green coffee we're sourcing right now as well. I feel like we are in a very specific spot that we look for. We look for a certain price range. Mm-hmm. And within that, uh, we have a certain flavor profile we're looking to achieve. Right. Um, or like general profile we're looking to achieve um just that nice bright acidity we want a balanced sweet cup um yeah yeah it's and it's like the curves that we're seeing a lot of the times the preset the library of curves are basically you can go in and just pick all these different uh, roast settings um they're very they're geared towards maybe fifteen dollar a pound coffees where we're very on specific, four yeah. five dollar a pound and they're just the difference between those two coffees are night and day um, and when you you ordered recently a pretty expensive coffee and we threw it on one of those curves and we're like oh this actually makes more sense now because it but it still was odd we right? ended up actually we liked it more than before yeah, yeah, but right. we actually ended up liking ours better again yeah uh, so I don't know maybe we just. Maybe we just made the perfect work. the perfect thing for our uh, palates. Well, we're, we're just killing it. That's really in the end. We don't make mistakes. Like good job, everybody. Job well done. 
<laughs> the job is done, gentlemen. We do not need to do any more work. No, I'm just kidding. That is that is uh, the whole point of uh, set the roastery is constant improvement, and uh, yeah, that's why I'm I'm in that stage right now where we enjoy what we love doing, right? Like we enjoy the coffee, we enjoy everything, but we're constantly trying to optimize, as we kind of mentioned the first episode. Um, but otherwise, this has been a good little green coffee uh, pod, and I feel like green coffee is one of the most abstract things in coffee for most people. They don't really understand. Yeah. It something that took me a while to to grasp and i'm still learning a lot and you know that's when altitude you got you know like the whole idea of the weather difference between guatemala and nicaragua and how that impacts soil soil right and processes we have a lot more that we want to cover that we can't really tackle in one pod but we do want to do like a series just over each one of those elements to just give people an idea and honestly we'll learn through that prepping for the podcast of just forcing ourselves to dive even deeper into these these um these kind of categories because i feel like they are very important and they can give you a good understanding of the cup that um that you roast and then you end up brewing but do you guys got anything else this has been uh this has been good yeah i just like to touch on the fact that we are sharing this based on what we currently know and what we appreciate and what our understanding is and so i want to translate that to people to say this is what we currently know right We're not on these mics saying we are the end-all, be-all. We figured it all no, out. There's nothing to not. learn and improve. Like This is just us being transparent saying, here's what we know, guys. Come along with us. We're enjoying this. We want to share it. If you find value in it, great. But we're not trying to pretend like we've solved no. everything and we've got nothing left to learn. No. And I think it's important to reiterate that. This is just something where we're trying to you know, share what we already know with people that are interested because we found that of extreme value to us when we were trying to learn the basis of what we were doing. Yeah, And for... But for some, uh, some, some really high-end roasters, and, and they're, they're going to be very dead set on their perspective. Yep. And they're going to be right. pretty – and sometimes, in a, in a way, a lot of professionals look at that as like a good quality to go, this is what we do, and this is the right way to do it, even though 90 other people are going to say something otherwise. I think it allows for some level of just like artistic expression as well. Confidence, you know, like yeah. you can taste – an April coffee or a Tim Lindobo coffee right. and know that's them. Yeah. Right. right. They have their like specific, yeah. right. They so have their specific the goal, style. But I would think those guys would say like, this is who we are, but they've never stopped learning or Agreed. being flexible within that. Right. There's and always micro adjustments and what you're totally. getting to. And I would say that we understand the basis of who we are and what an upshot coffee is. And I think we're all very excited about that, but that's not inflexible. No, absolutely no. not. Agreed. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good uh, clarifier. Um, but yeah, guys, thanks for uh, tuning in for this pod. You guys, anything else to touch on? This has been uh, another good uh, episode three of Bean Pod. Looking at me a little, uh, little weird. No. You got something to say? No, no. I was just happy. I'm happy. Yeah, <laughs> happy guys. We're all happy. It's we're Friday. Just... The sun's out. It is. It's we a... shot two podcasts. We're having a good time, and we're gonna go back. We're gonna roast. We're gonna have some fun and make up shot better. Yeah, give us some feedback. We're gonna be posting some Instagram stuff on something you guys maybe want to hear on uh this podcast it's not just something that we're kind of spitballing ideas and um, but we want this to be interactive that's the whole point but uh thanks again for listening guys have a great rest of your evening and we will talk to you soon thank you all peace